Maybe you've heard the story. It happened long, long ago, while the earth was still yawning in its first few newborn breaths. It's a story about a a man and a woman who lived in a paradise. They lived in a garden. They they had an existence that was was free and full of life, and they were unafraid and unfettered. Even God himself looked down at their existence and all that he had created and the place he had he had put them, and, and he declared, it is very good. And if you know the story, maybe you know that one day a serpent came into that garden. An enemy, a tempter. And he caught the woman alone in a moment of curiosity. And he said to her, he, he, said to her, he asked her, he said, is it really true that you can't eat from any of these trees in the whole garden? And the woman said, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. We can eat from any tree in the whole garden, the fruit of any tree in this garden, except for the one right in the middle, the one right there in the center. For God has told us that we cannot eat of it, we cannot even touch it, or we will die. Ha, he said, you won't die. God's only telling you that, because he knows that if you take of the fruit of that tree and you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him, knowing both good and evil. And then he leaned in. And he said, doesn't that sound good? An existence where you don't have to depend on anyone. You don't have to wait around for anyone. Just look at yourself. You're you're an exquisite creature. Why should you have to take orders from anyone, let alone that, that man who's half as smart as you are that God put in charge of this place? Free yourself. It was a compelling speech. And the woman took some of the fruit from the forbidden tree. And she molded all over, wondered if it could be true. Now, I just want to step back for a minute to make sure that, that we've got this. Basically, there are two doors. Behind door number one, there's an existence where God does everything. He provides, he protects, he instructs, he teaches about life and meaning and fulfillment. That's door number one. Over here, you've got door number two. An existence where it's all up to you. Now, who would ever choose in this offer? Who would ever choose door number two? Um, we would, right? I mean, self-reliance. Why is it so sweet? Self-reliance, you could describe it as the American way. I mean, from a very young age, we've been inbred with these ideas of self-reliance. To prove the point, I bet you can fill in the blanks of some of these really well-known phrases. If you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. That's right. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Frank Sinatra saying it and a bunch of other people, I did it my way. But not just my way. For us, the most intoxicating idea is not just that we did it my way, but that I did it myself. Right? I mean, from a very young age, you start to see this in kids, little kids. I mean, little kids, this streak of fierce independence that takes over, and it doesn't even make sense. There are things that they cannot possibly do that they want to do it themselves. Let me do it myself, they say. And it can take you moments to help them, and yet they refuse. And it's not all bad, but it can be bad. You grow up later, and and you're sitting in front of your math book, and, and you've got no idea what the words on the page mean or how to solve the problem. But you dare not raise your hand, right? You dare not ask the teacher for help. You dare not admit that you don't know how to do it. Instead, you'll sit there forever clueless, rather than admit 
that you can't figure it out on your own? Or how many of us as men, when asked to move something really heavy down to the lower level, would rather risk hernia surgery than to ask anybody to come over and help us, right? I I can do this. I I may hurt myself a little, but it's okay. I I can do this myself. It's it's the same reason that when we're going through a hard time and someone who out of love and concern says, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And in our minds, we've got a thousand things they could do for us. And yet, what do we say? No, no, we're fine, right? We've got this. A thousand things in your mind, and no, 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 we'll we'll let you know if anything comes up. I'm sure sure we'll be fine. It's the reason that that all of us are so quick to offer help to someone who needs it, and yet we we will never ask for help. Because when you offer help, you get to be the hero, right? You come in to save someone else's day. To to ask for help, that might mean you're you're weak, that you, you can't handle it all, that you don't have it all put together, that you can't manage life. See, why is it that we all believe that at the end of life, if we can step back and we can survey the territory that we have conquered, if we can look at our accomplishments and all the things that we have done, why do we assume it will be better if we can look at all that and say, I did it myself? And yet we do. And so the woman stood there and she mulled this over. This this incredible idea that, that she could do it on her own. She could do it herself. And she took the fruit, and she ate it. And in so doing, she swallowed that lie whole. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And do you know what happened next? Their eyes were open. It must have worked, because their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked And so they hid. Suddenly they realized that life was now up to them. And it didn't take them but a second to realize that they were inadequate for the job. Now again, just step back from all this for a second. When it comes to self-reliance, why is it so alluring? Why is this lie that life is better when it's all up to you, or, or simply put, that life is all up to you and you can't count on anyone, you can't depend on anyone. Why is that so captivating? I think we all know deep down it doesn't make for a better life, really. But if you're not sure about that, and if you struggle with this, and, and, and you're just not sure, uh, today I want to take you to someone wiser than I am. I want to take you to the words of Solomon, who was the wisest king who ever lived in Israel's history. And I want to share some words with you from Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, starting at verse 7. Now, I'm going to read them all the way through because this is wisdom literature. It's kind of poetic. It's sort of hard to follow. So I'm going to read it through in one fell swoop, and then I'm going to go back and we'll, we'll use the, uh, the, the uh, plasma back here to, uh, to walk through the Scripture a little bit more. So by two times, maybe, maybe we'll start to get it. But here's what Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 7. He says, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. So Solomon's this guy who's just looking around at life. He's observing life. And he's making notes. He's, he's uh, observing and, and drawing out principles. And that's what he'll do here. So he says, here's what I discovered. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. No one in his life. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Then he goes on, maybe heard these words at a wedding. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So there you have Solomon talking about this issue of self-reliance and if life is in fact better when it's all up to you, lived alone or not. Now, I told you I want to go back and I want to draw out some principles here, so um, feel free to take some notes. We're going to start again at verse 7 and uh, we'll, we'll draw out some, uh, some of what Solomon is saying along the way. So he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone, all alone. He had neither son nor brother and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. So the first principle, write this down. The first principle is on your own, life is meaningless. On your own, life is meaningless. I mean, that's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, you know what? You, you can live life, and you can work hard, and you can amass for yourself great wealth, but it will never satisfy you. You can amass for yourself title, you can have an impressive resume of different conquests. You can have all of that stuff, and yet it truly, in the end, will be meaningless for you. Now think about this for a second. Solomon is not some slacker, you know, laying on his couch watching daytime TV saying this because he's taking shots at the people who've made it while he hasn't. Solomon is the wealthy, wise king. He knows what it is to accomplish. He knows what it is to be powerful. He knows what it is to be wealthy. He's achieved all of that. And he says at the end of it, if you measure your life in anything else, in anything else other than relationships, it will be meaningless. You will chase after something that will always elude you. On your own, life is meaningless. Look what, look what he says next. We're going to go quick through this. Um, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So the next principle is on your own, you'll still work hard. On your own, you'll still work hard, but your return will be less. On your own, you'll still work hard, but your return will be less. Says who? I hated group work in school. Anyone else? And the teacher says, get in groups, and you're going to work. I mean, come on, anyone else? One person over there? I, I hated group work in school. Why? Because I was a kid who had to have my own way, and so it was a lot of work. I had to convince everyone first that I was right and that my idea was best, and that's exhausting. And then you had to drag them along, and, you know, drag all that dead weight along to just get the project done. And it used to, you know, it would have been so much easier if I could have done that myself. How many of you have said that before? It would be so much easier if I just could have done it myself. And it would have been better, too. Now, now there are times in life where you need to go fast. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'll grant you that when you need to go fast, it's sometimes best to go alone. But life is not a sprint, is it? At least we hope it is, and it's a marathon. So, so going fast is not the goal in life. The goal in life is to go far. So, so you can go fast alone, but you can go farther together with other people gathered around you. And so Solomon's saying, he's saying, you know what? Uh, you can work really hard. Or you can work really hard and really smart and have a greater return for the work that you put into it. Uh, Stephen Covey uncovered this principle, um, or rediscovered this principle in his, uh, in his work on seven habits of highly effective people. This is principle number six, or habit number six. He talks about synergy. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. 
He says, to synergize is to combine the strengths of people through positive teamwork so as to achieve goals no one person could have done alone. So again, combine the strengths of people through positive teamwork. Oh gosh, some of you hate teamwork, right? You don't care if it's positive, you hate it. So as to achieve goals no one person could have done alone. So so Covey's saying, you know what, you can work hard, and yet if you combine your hard work with with someone else, and it's got to be the right person with their hard work and their hard work, together you can achieve more than any of you could ever do on your own. The the, the whole is greater than than the parts, right? Um, Each individual part doesn't add up to the whole. Somehow there's this magic called synergy that actually makes your returns better. So so you can work hard on your own, but you've just got to be willing to settle for weaker returns. Less fruitful work. And I don't mean any insult, but that's kind of dumb, right? Why work hard and get less for your work? Why not work together and get greater returns? I I love the way Proverbs puts this. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron... So one person sharpens another. You can't sharpen yourself, right? A sword can't sharpen itself. You know, metal against metal is how you get sharper in life. This is our theme verse for Iron Men Ministry, which is a, a network of men's small groups. And this is what it's about. We're saying, guys, you know, you can work your tail off to be a good husband and a father and, a, and an employee or a boss, whatever. And you can work hard and you can experience pretty decent returns. Or you can gather with other guys and you can journey through life together, supporting one another, sharpening one another, and your returns will be greater in the end. See, some of you, you do great work on your own, and you hate being bogged down with other people. You're doing fine on your own. You're being successful on your own, but on your own, your returns will always be less than if you're willing to join with others. Now, um, before I go on to the next verse, I just have to to pause and admit something to you. Um, Of all the lies that we're going to talk about in this, in this, uh, in this series, this is the one that I struggle with the most. This is the one that I find myself believing the most, this lie of self-reliance. And so, um, you know, if, if you're like me, um, maybe you struggle with this too, and uh, maybe you're going to go home and you're going to go like, I don't, I don't know what it's about. Deanne was just not on today. You're probably right, because I don't, I don't have this beat yet. I don't have a perspective of wisdom to offer you other than what Solomon has offered, and, and I'm coming at it the same way you are, just hoping that maybe something will finally click, and I'll start to get this, because I hear this, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but. And so if you're like me today, don't rely on me to convince you, because I can't, because I'm not, I'm not fully convinced myself. I'm, I'm struggling with this. Uh, but, but if you're like me, and you struggle with this, ju- just ask God to make this clear, work a little harder, you know, focus a little harder, take these words and plant them deep in your soul and ask God to make them fruitful. Uh, I remember when my, uh, my wife, my now wife, when we were dating, um, we were, you know, getting that point in our relationship where we're getting a little more serious and, and we came to the point, which I think is normal in a lot of relationships, where, where all of a sudden the woman thinks she cares about the relationship more than the guy. Um, at least that was typical in my relationships, maybe that should tell me something. Um, and, uh, and, and she asked me, and we're fighting about it, and, and, uh, and she finally came out and she says, you know, I just feel like you don't need me. And my answer to her was, you're right, I don't. <laughs> now, this is a time when I would say that honesty is not the best policy. <laughs> because, of course, that devastated her. What, what do you mean? And, and in my mind, I said, no, 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 because, you know, I don't, I don't need anyone. And in fact, if I need someone, that's probably making me weak. Uh, you may add to my life. You may make it better. I want you in my life. Sure, sure, sure. 
but, but didn't need you? I, I, I don't need anyone. I've got a long way to go on this, and maybe you do too, so, so just pray a little harder through this message um, that, that God will help you uh, with, with this whole thing. Before we go on, all right, let's, let's, let's look on at the next uh, thing that Solomon says. Um, so he's talking about two. You know, two's better than one. They have a better return for their work. He says, when you're talking about two again, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. He says, also, if two lie down together, it'll, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So here Solomon's talking about this. He's given us another principle. He says, on your own, you'll have no one to pick you up when life knocks you down. On your own, you will have no one to pick you up when life knocks you down. I'll say that again for those of you who are really self-reliant. On your own. You'll have no one to pick you up when life knocks you down. Being in ministry, there's something I observe, and anyone who works in ministry can tell you this, because we, we witness a lot of people who've been knocked down. I mean, that's, that's when you call us. You're, you know, you don't call us when everything's going well, usually. You call us when life deals you a very, you know, critical knockdown. And what we've observed is this, that the people who are the most resilient, the people who get up the quickest and move on and, and, and are restored to a greater degree, are the people who've got strong community around them. Your relationships, the people gathered around you, they make all the difference in the world. And see, if you're on your own, it doesn't matter how bad people feel for you. If they don't know you, if you haven't given them permission into your life, they're just simply not going to be able to be there for you. If, if you wait until life knocks you down and then you start reaching out to people, it's just awkward. It's not going to work and you're going to feel lonely and abandoned. And see, some of you do this and, and you get mad. You're like, man, I was, I was going through a hard thing in life and no one reached out to me. And maybe it's true that you had deep relationships and they forsook you because people are frail, but chances are you waited too long to cultivate those relationships. When you're in crisis, people don't know how to be around you, right? If you're in grief, people are, I mean, you've been through this. You're grieving and people come and talk to you about it and you feel like you were the counselor counseling them. You had to help them rather than them helping you because they were so awkward. And you're just like, no, 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 really, it's okay. Just, I'll be, go, I'll be fine, you know, because they're so awkward. See, if you wait until life knocks you down to find community, it doesn't work. But if you have strong community around you, you've got people who will pick you up when life knocks you down. You know, I, I wasn't going to share this uh, story today. I kind of wrestled with it because it's sad. And none of us come to church wanting to be sad. At least I don't. Um, but I, I, I thought it, it was just too true and I had to share it. Um, a week ago, some of you know if you followed the news, that a week ago down at Johnson Shut-In State Park, uh, there was an accident and a little six-year-old girl drowned which is just devastating to me still. You know, being a dad of, of little kids, um, it's, it's awful to think, to think of that. And, uh, you know, along the way you start wondering, God, why, why do you allow this stuff to happen? And I don't have the full answer to that. I know that God didn't cause it. Uh, but here's what I do know. I know that, that God was still at work that day, even in the midst of tragedy, because there was a family um, who goes to St. John. And uh, they were down there at Johnson shut-ins last Sunday. I'm not sure why they weren't in church, but, you know, I'll give them a pass. Um, and they, uh, they, they were down there, and they were actually down there while this whole thing unfolded. I mean, I mean from, the, from the beginning, they saw two kids struggling in the water and even helped get two kids out and realized there should have been a third kid. And, and I'll spare you all the details. But, but while they were there and while this horrific thing was unfolding in front of them, they did one important thing. They stopped with the family. Of the, of the child, and, and they prayed. And they offered words of comfort. 
And uh, they hung around there as long as they possibly could until um, everything uh, had basically played out. And then they realized they really needed to go and minister to their own family because they had young kids and, and they needed to go and work through all this together. And so they reluctantly left. Well, unbeknownst to them, there was another St. John family. They didn't even know they were there until this week. Um, who was at the same place, and right as that family was leaving, the other family walked down to the river to see what was going on, discovered this horrific scene, and they stepped in, and they began praying and comforting this family who was in amazing grief. They even helped drive them back home to make sure they got home safely and uh, made sure that they were in their house and prayed with them before they left. Now, now again, I, I don't tell you that to make you sad. But I tell you that because I'm just so thankful and I'm so proud about, about people like that in our community, people like you who step up in moments of incredible darkness and manifest the presence and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of a faith, faith community like that. And if you're a guest here today, you need to know that we're kind of a messed up group of people and we've got a lot of weird things going on and we are not mature in every way and, and yet this is at the heart of who we are, that we, we are people who want to be present to a hurting world, to a needy world, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ in life's darkest moments. And, and they're these two families from our church. I mean, what are the chances that they were the two families on the front lines doing ministry to this family who got the knockdown punch of their life? I'm so thankful. But, but here's what I need to tell you. That, that even if life never knocks you down in that way, and I pray that it doesn't, and for some of you it already has, you've been through a loss like that, and, and just me talking about this has maybe sent you to a dark place, and I'm sorry, but this is important. As you, as you think about your life, and, and maybe there's no chance that you're ever going to experience a loss like that, Life will knock you down someday. It may not be as bad as that, and I pray that it isn't, but life will knock you down someday, and you will need others to help you get back up. But if you live a life of isolation, if you think in your present day that you can manage this all on your own, that it's all up to you, ultimately a day will come where you are not enough. And what then? I, I, again, I love how Proverbs puts it. Proverbs 27, verse 10, it says, do not forsake, see that? Do not forsake your friend. Do not forsake your friend. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family. And do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better is a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Now, maybe I just like this because all my family lives far away in Michigan. I don't know. But here's what I love. It's this reminder that says, you know what? It is easy in life to get caught up in your own stuff. It's easy in life to think that you can manage on your own and that you don't need anyone. It's easy to do that when life is good. But when disaster comes, you're going to need a friend. A friend who's close by. And again, this is what I've discovered. Solomon said it. I've discovered it to be true. That when you're on your own, you've got no one to help pick you up. But when you've surrounded yourself with a group of people who know you, who you know, where you've experienced life together, not only will you be able to run over to their house, but when disaster strikes, they will be in your driveway checking in on you. Now, I, I just got to um, do one more thing and um, uh, as we're looking at this, just one more quick thing. Uh, verse 12. Um, though one may be overpowered, Solomon says, two can defend themselves. Um, so again, I'm not going to make much of this, but uh, there's another principle here. On your own, you'll have no one to stick up for you. 
Now, this may be invaders. You know, Solomon's talking about, you know, being overpowered by invaders. Well, that might not happen. But uh, on your own, you'll have no one to stick up for you. What about when you are the center of gossip? When you're the center of the weekly gossip? If you're living life on your own, there's not going to be anyone who's going to go, you know what, knock it off. That's, that's not true. Or, or what if there's an accusation made against you? Or, or what if your reputation is put on the line? In those moments, you, you can't speak for yourself. The more you speak for yourself, the worse you look. And yet, when you've got people surrounding you in life, uh, you've got people who will stick up for you. People will stand up for you. People who will say, no, 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 that's not true. People will come to your aid. It's an amazing thing. Now, now here's what I want you to do. Of all the things I've just talked about, you know, on your own life is meaningless and, you know, the whole list. I want you to think of, of who in your mind has been coming to mind. Who are those people in your life? Who are the people you will run to in the day of disaster? Or who will run to you? Who are the people who, who help you get a better return for your work? Who are the people who will defend you no matter what comes against you? Who are those people? And those names should be coming quick. And if they're not, it's a warning sign for you, okay? If you don't got a list of names right now and you're going, oh yeah, 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 this person would be there, this, it, it's a warning sign. Here I am, I'm the ghost of Christmas future, folks. And I'm telling you, even though you may be able to manage life today, even though it's fine relying on yourself and you just put your head down and you work harder and you muscle through it, even though that may be reality today, a day is coming when you will not be enough and who are you going to look to then? On your own, it's, it's just really no kind of life for you to live. Solomon ends this way. Um, so he says, you know, two, two is better when you have a defender. Two, uh, two can, uh, you know, keep you from being overpowered. And then he says, but a cord of three strands. Now he ups the ante. So it's all been two, 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 two. Now he says, and if you really want to be smart, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, he's saying the more the merrier. You know what, if you're going to focus on something in life, if you're going to cultivate something in life, if you're a goal person and, and you want to set goals for your life, plan a life where you invest in people. And when, you're, when you open yourself up enough for people to invest in you. Now, again, if, if you're like me, you're probably listening to this and you're saying, okay, this sounds like good advice, but you, you know this isn't going to change you because it's just, you're, you're, you're not built this way. And so here's something I want to give to you, and this is why I think it's so important for everyone in this room because this is what I've been wrestling with in my own life, and, and uh, it's just a question that I've been pondering over this issue. And over my struggle with it. And, uh, and here's the question. The question is this. If I can't bring myself to rely on people, can I really rely on God? You know what I mean? Like if, if I can't ever ask for help, if I'm too proud to ask for help or to receive help from people, can I really rely on God? I mean, I may say I, I pray and I rely on God and I trust you, Jesus, and I may sing those songs, but am I really relying on God? I mean, I mean, think through this again. You know, if I can't ask for help from flesh and blood, people I can see and hear and touch, people whose help is perceptible in my life and obvious, if I can't open myself up to their help, can I really open myself up to the help of a God who is unseen? And, and if I can't learn to rely on God... What am I going to do when it comes to the really big things in my life? You know, the things that are too big for even people to help me with. Things like my personal struggle with sin and weakness and failure. What, what do I do with those things that no one else can handle except God? If I can't learn to rely on people, then can I really rely on God? And what am I going to do when it comes to those really big issues in my life? Those catastrophic failures. I'll tell you what you'll do. First, you'll beat yourself up until you're black and blue. 
I mean, you, you will punish yourself for being so stupid or for being so weak or for failing. And, and, and man, you will, you will rake yourself over the coals. And some of you, you are in the middle of doing that today. You, you, you are here today in the middle of just bruising and beating yourself to a pulp over some mistake or some weakness over some sin struggle in your life. And, and so you'll do that for a while. And then you know what you'll do? You'll give yourself a pep talk, right? You love this. You beat yourself up, but then you give yourself a pep talk, which is what we do. We give ourselves a pep talk and we say, you know what? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change. And for a while you may do it and it may work, but inevitably what's going to happen? You'll fail again. You'll fall victim to that weakness again. You'll fail. You'll mess up. You'll stumble. And then you'll beat yourself up again. And, and you know, with each turn of the cycle... You fall deeper and deeper into shame and deeper and deeper into isolation. Or, you know, if that's not the path you go, you know, if you believe this one lie that it's all up to you, uh, then you'll just keep telling yourself more lies and you'll tell yourself lies about, about your sin and how it's really not that bad. Or, or you'll create a diversion and you look over at someone else's sin and be like, you know, you know my, my sin's kind of bad, but we all know that their sin is way worse. And, and you'll be one of these people who crusades against the sin of others. So that you can forget your sin, or your sin can seem smaller, or your struggle can seem smaller than theirs. And, and that spiral will take you down as well, and someday you'll wake up and you'll be a self-righteous hypocrite, but you won't know the difference and you won't care, because your heart will be hard. See, that's what's at stake here. And I love what Hebrews 12 says. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Uh, you know, initially this sounds like a pep talk, right? It's, it's like the coach that you had who's like telling you to run laps, and you're like, coach, I can't run another lap. And he's like, well, you're still upright, so apparently you can run another, another lap. Um, in seventh grade, I was a wrestler. I weighed like 80 pounds, and uh, I was a wrestler. And, and the wrestling coach, literally, you'd be like, I can't, you know, I can't do this anymore. It's just exhausting work. Uh, wrestlers have my admiration. I only did it one year. Um, and he had this mop bucket, and the mop bucket was so that you could crawl to the end of the mat, get sick, and go back and uh, just crazy people. And I, I, you know, I see that coach's face when I read this sometimes in Hebrews 12. Yeah. And he's like, and you struggle against sin. Come on, suck it up. You, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You're not bleeding yet, so you're not trying hard enough. And that can feel extremely overwhelming. And, and maybe that's true. You know, part of that is true. I think part of that is what's going on here. But you know what's really going on here? The writer to the Hebrews, he's not giving us a pep talk. He's giving us a reminder that someone did shed his blood. Because there are some things in life that are just too big for you. They're too big for other people to help you with. They, they are so big. They are so overwhelming. They, they are so threatening to your very existence that the Son of God had to put on flesh and come and give his life on a cross. See, Jesus only came into the world because there are things that are too big for you to handle on your own. If you could try harder, if you could struggle harder, and that, that would win, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. So, so let me make this clear. You will not beat sin in your life. Ever. And that doesn't mean that you should give up the battles or you should quit the war. That's not what I'm saying. But instead, you need to come to terms with the fact that you will not beat sin, but Jesus has beat it for you. 
that in your strength, in your power, you will not overcome some things in your life. You will not. And yet, and yet, objectively, in time, Jesus gave his life, and he overcame all sin and all death. And even though that may not be a present reality for you today, even though you may be in the midst of a struggle, even though you may be in the middle of a failure, it still stands true objectively that sin is defeated in your life, even if you're not feeling it. And it still stands that Jesus is victorious over all and that you are righteous, even though today you may sit here feeling very unrighteous. See, there are some things that are so big in life that only Jesus can handle them. And you've got to learn to trust him in spite of your reality that he is enough. That his work is enough, that it has been accomplished, and that his victory is enough for you, even though you may not be experiencing victory today. But I think that's very, very hard to do. It's very hard to trust Jesus like that, to rely on his grace like that. And so maybe, you know, this is what I've been thinking, that if I want to rely on God for what only he can do, for the big stuff, if I want to rely on God for his grace, even when I'm a failure, if I want to rely on God for only what he can do, I need to start by relying on people for what only they can do. If I want to get good at relying on others for the big stuff, I've got to start with the small stuff. And so here's an important date for you. Uh, the date is Sunday, September 29th. Sunday, September 29th, 6 p.m. Sunday, September 29th, 6 p.m. Sunday, September 29th, 6 p.m. No one's writing it down, and you should be. It's an important date. Sunday, September 29th, 6 p.m. It's our next small group networking night. And here's why it's important, because there will be a group of people there gathered who are ready to learn how to rely on others for the small stuff, so they can begin to rely on God for the big stuff, for the stuff that only God can do in your life. And if you're a person who's sitting here today saying, you know what, I, I don't have those people who are doing life with me that I can rely on, people who know me, people I know, people who, who we share life and we share struggle, I don't have that, Th- then come to the small group networking night again Sunday, September 29th, 6 p.m., come and, uh, and check it out. We're not going to do another one for a while, so this is your chance. You got to learn how to be weak and vulnerable and rely on people in small things so that you can take hold of what Jesus died to give you when it comes to the big things that really matter. You see, back in the garden, a long time ago, we made a decision, and uh, we made a decision that life would be better on our own and that we could manage on our own. And we've been making that decision, some of us, daily ever since. Today, I'm asking you to make a different decision, to begin to believe that maybe this isn't the best way of living. And so here's what I want us to do. We're going to close off the service today um, by singing a song. Uh, please stand up. We're going to sing a song. And it's a song that just focuses on how strong and how good our God is. Because here's the thing that I'm finding in my battle with self-reliance is that pondering my weakness and my inability, it doesn't make me feel any better. But what really works is when I, when I ponder, when I meditate on who God is and what God has done, when I think about the life that God has in store for me, when, when I can begin to get a picture of the hopes and dreams that God has for my life, then it makes it a little bit easier for me to say, God, you know better, and I entrust you to my hands. Into your hands, rather. So um, we're going to sing this song stronger. And uh, just as you do, surrender. <laughs>